0: Open your Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 21. While you're turning there, and it's important that you use your Bible this morning because I can't possibly read all of, the, all of the verses that I'm going to make reference to, but while you're turning there, let me remind you that we live in a depraved world. Ever since the fall of man, it's been bad. And ever since the fall of man it 's been getting worse all of the time. We live in discouraging times, and we need all the encouragement that that we can get and the world doesn 't have anything whatsoever to offer, regardless of how hard you try to find satisfaction in the world. you always come up you always come up empty. When we think about the condition of our country and uh, We've been so blessed with freedom because of the blood shed by men and women who fought to give us this freedom. We've been lavished with all of God's blessings, and yet we've turned our back on God. We've murdered millions of little babies. I don't know where it will end That is for America. Immorality is allowed to just get worse and worse, seemingly without any protest about it. And were it not for God, there would be absolutely no hope. And hope makes all the difference in the world. But if you're looking for hope, you have to look to Christ and to eternity. Because just hoping That the world gets better is not going to make it better. You know, we can wish all that we want, but it's not going to change the condition of the world. And so we have to look to Christ. We have to think about eternity. To get hope, we need to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to believe God's promises, follow God's plan, rely upon His power, and being conscious of His presence with us isn't that a great thought that he's with us every second of every day it might shock some people for me to say this but hope is within the reach of absolutely everyone makes no difference who you are what you've done what you think what you believe or anything else i'm telling you hope is possible Sometimes it's so easy for us to just give up on people because they are set in their ways. They're headed in the wrong direction. They're doing all of the wrong things. And you've made an effort maybe to steer them in the right direction and help them to realize their need of Christ. And they have no interest in that whatsoever. And, and so many times we just give up. What's the use? They're going to do what they're going to do. Let me tell you, God can change that. He can change not just the direction of their life, but He can change their eternal destiny. I want to speak to you this morning about heaven, the eternal kingdom, and your future forever home if you're a child of God. I've noticed a lot of strange things, and even though there's a lot of a lot of people think about heaven. A lot of people talk about heaven. A lot of people have questions about heaven. Do they ever? They want to know if their dog's going to be there. Or, you know, one of my dad wondered if he was going to be able to fish in heaven. He knew enough to know there's going to be water, so he thought maybe we could fish. And there's a lot of questions that we can't answer. But for all of the interest we see about heaven... There's very, very little preaching about heaven. And I think that's because we know so very little about heaven. We don't want to deal with it because we don't really know all of that much. As you've heard me say, Jesus said more things about hell than he did about heaven. But that doesn't mean there's not a lot to know about heaven. Our knowledge of heaven as it is now, and I emphasize that, our knowledge of heaven as it is now is very limited those things you know that we wonder about are actually sacred secrets that god's not going to tell us but there are some things that we do know about heaven number one heaven is a real place we know that The bible says so god can't lie we know that because paul went there that's another fact we know as heaven is now heaven is up we know as it is now heaven is north we know as it is now that heaven is the third of three heavens we know God's throne is there Jesus is there the saints are there it's a place that's called paradise but basically the only real details that we find out about heaven is found in revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22 before we do that and look at those verses I want you to consider what's to come in other words between now and when we get to heaven we know that the present world is going to get worse and worse we preachers talk about that a lot how bad things are how bad things are going to get we know that there's going to be a rapture where Christ comes The clouds of the air and all of those that are saved are going to be caught up together to meet him. We know that when that happens, there's going to be the beginning of a seven-year tribulation period here upon the earth when that happens. Seven years, the most horrible seven years in history. That's what Jesus said. It's worse than any time that has ever been. I'm glad I'm not going to be here. And if you're saved, you don't have to worry about being here. After that, Christ returns to the earth and starts the millennial reign. That is the 1,000-year reign right here upon this earth. Sometimes we get so worried about, are we going to blow the earth up, blow it into oblivion with nuclear war power and stuff like that? Don't worry about that because it's going to be here at least 1,007 years. The tribulation period, the millennial reign of Christ. After that we know that there's going to be the great white throne judgment of God. That's for all of those that are unsaved in the judgment seat of Christ. That is not for those that are unsaved. The judgment seat of Christ has to do with those that have received Christ as their Savior. And this is the time that their works are reviewed and their rewards are handed out. It's a good time, the judgment seat of Christ. But then the eternal kingdom begins. And that's where we pick up here in Revelation chapter 21. Look at verse number 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. And by the way, whenever John writes these things... He is merely writing things that were already written back in the Old Testament. We learn the same thing in Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 6 and Psalms 102 talk about exactly the same thing. You know, we read through the Bible, but it's not until we get to these last two chapters that we discover what heaven is really going to be like, and it's amazing And whenever I say heaven, I want you to listen carefully this morning because I'm going to say say some things that maybe you never thought about, maybe you never heard, but you need to understand. We, We see heaven in the context of God's eternal kingdom. That is our eternal state. That's the way we're going to look at heaven this morning because that's what heaven is going to be all about. And that's what every Christian can look forward to. It'd take me hours to just comment on every verse here in these two chapters. And I'm just going to hit the highlights of heaven this morning. But you need to follow along in your Bible. And I want you to think about four things related to this. Number one, the destruction of the old. I just read the verse there. He's that present heaven, the present earth, all going to be destroyed, he says. Now, remember, during the millennial reign of Christ, there was such a change that we could call it good and great. That thousand years is going to be so amazing. And it would take an hour for me to even try to describe what the Bible says about that wonderful thousand-year reign upon the earth. And we're going to rule and reign with Him. But there's going to be more drastic changes whenever that thousand years is over. When it's over. Remember Peter talked about that. Over in 2nd Peter. In chapter number 3. I believe it is. And he talks about that very thing. That this this present earth. Is going to to burn. And he he tells us. That we're to be vigilant. Casting all your care upon him. For he, he careth for you. And he tells us that. The world as we now know it, that is the earth as we now know it, is going to be absolutely consumed with fire. The heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Now this is at the end of the thousand years. This is whenever whenever Satan is finally conquered and chained and put in the bottomless pit and he's over he's done it's a done deal with him and that's when that this present earth and the present heaven is all going to be consumed by fire now think about it whenever you talk about heavens there are three heavens the atmospheric heaven where the air around us is there's the Heaven beyond that that has the sun and the moon and the stars and all of those things in the third heaven, which is where where the throne of God presently is. And he says this earth is going to be consumed by fire. Have you ever thought about the fact that in this enclosed environment that we live in, this uh, atmospheric heaven is like a ticking time bomb with all of the elements that are in it. And we think about what man has done by way of nuclear warfare. And eventually, eventually, all of this is going to come to a head and this present earth is going to be destroyed. Now, understand that does not mean that it'll be annihilated, that, it'll, that you, it's gone forever. It doesn't mean that at all. Remember in the Old Testament, whenever God brought judgment upon the world, what did He do? He used water. He destroyed that old world with water. The world itself didn't cease to exist, but it was purged by water. But in this day, it's going to be consumed by fire, and everything on it is going to be consumed by fire. And He tells us it's going to be a not just the earth, but He says, notice, a new heaven a new heaven the atmospheric heaven what is the atmospheric heaven remember jesus is refer, refers to satan as the god of this world he's the god of the air the bible says this atmospheric heaven is the area in which satan himself is considered to be the god of that that's the extent of his influence he can't overthrow the throne of god He was cast down to this earth whenever he, in pride, decided that he wanted to be God. And so this present heaven, the atmospheric heaven, is going to be destroyed. Now I know there are all kinds of questions going through your mind. What about Jupiter and Mars, and what about all of those things? Well, I think according to this, there's going to be a new heaven. I'm not so worried about what happens to them as I am the fact... That there's going to be a new heaven and it's not going to be that area of jupiter and mars and so forth and notice he says a new earth new heaven new earth and this final transformation comes at the at the end of the millennial reign of christ now notice what happens next look at verse 2 of chapter 21 And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now you remember, of course, that the church is likened unto the bride of Christ. And he says, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them And be their God. What a drastic change has happened now. New heaven, a new earth. Evidently this is the new Jerusalem that Paul made reference to in the book of Galatians here. It's what Christ is preparing for us there in John 14 where he says I go to prepare a place for you. Notice, and the new Jerusalem descends from heaven, out of the heaven, God's heaven, to earth. And it's described beginning in verse 9 all through verse number 27. Again, we don't have time to read all of those verses, but I'll make some reference. And you just follow along, start in verse 9, just kind of go down through there. And this is what you discover, that the new Jerusalem is going to be 1,500 miles, some say 1,400 you're talking about that many miles, it doesn't make a lot of difference, does it? Hundred miles of difference. Fifteen hundred miles high, wide, and long. It's a cube, fifteen hundred miles in every direction. It's enclosed by walls of jasper, 216 feet thick. And in the wall there are twelve gates. Each gate is a is a pearl. Every, every gate is a pearl. And it's sitting, the wall is upon a 12 layer foundation of precious stones. And inside the city, he speaks about a street, a street of pure, translucent gold. I I, I mean, we've never seen gold like that. But there's this gold that is translucent, it's pure. And it says, the glory of the Lamb will continually illuminate the city. The Lamb is the light. Be no day, be no night. Just continual light radiating from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about this. Somebody calculated that that ever since uh, people have lived since Adam, there have probably been 40 billion people that have lived. Now, think about if only 10% of that number have been saved, that means that two thirds of the area there, if you took two thirds of the new Jerusalem and use it for parks, streets, rivers, and so forth, every person could have the area of a six sided cube with 200 acres on each side. I've never lived in any place like that. 200 acres in every direction. And remember, that's in addition to the new earth. We've got a new earth now, but we're talking about that, that new Jerusalem. The city of God. Where the saints of God will be. But there's also the new earth that he speaks of here. I'm telling you, we don't have to be satisfied with the cabin in the corner of Glory Land god has something so much better than we can even imagine here we are the children of the king and heirs of jesus christ that just blows my mind to think about the fact that i'm a joint heir with jesus christ so we see the descent of this new jerusalem coming down to the earth now i want to try to describe here what the bible says about our eternal state and as we read this, you'll see what Paul meant when he said to die is gain. Now, I know most people don't want to think about death. It's, it's a somber issue. It's something we want to avoid at all costs. And yet the Bible says to die is gain. You don't get demoted whenever you die and go to heaven. That's the highest promotion that you, you can imagine. And it's gained for at least two reasons that that I think is confirmed by these chapters here. Number one, because of the things that we leave. Notice what he says in verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Think about what a great river of tears have have been shed down through the centuries. There are those that have wept because of of sympathy for others it might be that they wept out of pity for others it might be the tears of separation it might be the tears of godly sorrow for sins that we've committed it might be because of disappointment our hope has been disappointed. things didn't turn out the way we wanted them to and we weep over that it might be our wound, wounded affection You love someone that didn't love you it might be the tears of pain but whatever it is all of those tears will be wiped from their eyes and notice then he says and there shall be no more death right now we see reminders of death absolutely everywhere you drive down the road and you see cemeteries you see funeral possessions you pick up the paper to read it and there's the obituaries we're reminded of death because of the loss of loved ones. We're reminded of death because of the fact that the Bible tells us that it's appointed a man wants to die. And we know, according to God's word, that we're going to die. I don't care what kind of a diet you, you're you on or how much exercise you get, how fit you might think you are. You're going to die. We're all in the process of dying. My dear wife, back in the hospital again, and... and uh, by the way, somebody told me just a while ago they didn't have a TV there in the intensive care, so they're on the phone, and that's for you, baby doll. It breaks my heart to think about all of the suffering that she's gone through over these last two years. And I'm certain that many of you, probably all of you, can think of some dear loved one that has suffered it might be you in your suffering and anguish, and there are times that you feel like I just can't go on anymore. Well, I've got good news for you. There's going to be a time when there will be no more death, neither sorrow. Now, remember the millennial reign we've been talking about and all of those great blessings that's going to take place? It's going to be wonderful. But this new Jerusalem, this is in our final abode here, is going to be greater than that because there's no more death. People die during the millennium. There are even unsaved people here during the millennium. You say, how do you know that? I know that because at the end of that thousand years, Satan will have recruited enough unsaved people during the millennium that they'll wage war against God. They'll be defeated. And now, in that new Jerusalem, no more death, nor crying. What a day that will be. I'm so glad Tim sang that song this morning. Not going to be anything to cry about. Remember that old song, No Tears in Heaven? No tears in heaven there. There won't be anything to cry about. There will be no death. There will be no sorrow. We'll be forever rejoicing and continually content. But the list doesn't end there. Neither shall there be any more pain. Now that can speak about pain of any sort. It might be physical pain. It might be emotional pain or spiritual pain. And sometimes the pain can seem to be so great that it's unbearable. And relief would be so glorious. And thank God in that day there will be no more pain. We'll have permanent peace for eternity. Notice the next phrase for the former things are passed away. That's why the Bible reminds us repeatedly to keep our focus on eternity, that we ought to live with an eternal perspective. As I've told you before, I had uh, Brother Hamlin to make me a plaque, just one word on it, eternity. It sits on my desk. I look at that every single day, eternity. Oh, listen, to die is gain because of all of the things that we leave, all of the things that will be no more. But to die is gain for another reason, and that's because of what we receive. That takes us over to chapter 22 and we start in verse 1. Again, follow along in your Bible. And here's the first thing. He mentions an uncontaminated river. He says, verse number 1, there'll be a pure river. Now, remember, because the throne of the Lamb is mentioned as being inside the city, and because Christ is said to rule and reign from where? From the throne of where? His father David, right? That was in Jerusalem, right? So it seems to me that the new Jerusalem is going to come into contact with the earth then. At the location, geographical location of the old Jerusalem. Now, evidently the street is divided. And he, he describes that for us as we look on in this chapter. It will be divided. to what, what be what we call today the... Boulevard, and and there be a median in between one lane and the other, and that river's going to run between those two lanes. I don't read anything about streets of gold. Now there might be, but all I ever read about is street of gold. I really don't read anything about you know rivers, as though we've got a big network of rivers. Just there's the river that river right along with the right along with the uh, street and there'll be universal healing look at verse number two he speaks about the healing of the nation the, and the nations plural the tree of life that produces a crop of fruit each month maybe you're thinking well, what is this all about we're going to be they're in the new Jerusalem in contact with a new earth with no sign of the curse whatsoever. So what could this be all about? Well, I surely can't explain it all, but I know that Adam's sin ruined what God had prepared. And Christ's righteousness is going to restore everything that was lost. There was a curse. We're living during the time where this earth is cursed. The curse of God is upon it. But there's coming a time when that curse is going to be be lifted and, and restored. As Christ restores all that was lost in the fall. And I love this part. Verse number three, I want you to notice what he says there some baptists might not like this but i do and there shall be no more curse but the throne of god and of the lamb shall be in it notice and his servants shall serve him a lot of folks wonder what are we going to do for all of eternity Just sit around and twiddle our fingers what what are we going to do we're going to be serving god and all that that word service implies i don't know about you but but more important than anything on earth is is our obedience to god There have been so many times over the years when i was gone away preaching revival meetings and Bev was back home over the years raised eight children and it seemed like every time that i got away in a revival meeting there'd be a news report Of a tornado about to hit that area. And I'm thinking. She's there all alone. With the kids. You don't have time to turn around and drive all the way back. A hundred miles away. All of those years. Taking care of the home Life trying to get my clothes ready for the next revival. i going to come back in. I'm just going to be there a day, preach on Sunday, take off for another revival the next day, and year after year. Why, why would I do that? I don't love anybody on earth as much as I love my wife. I don't love any family on earth as much as I love my family. There's only one thing that would cause me to do something like that. And that's because I know what God called me to do. And that's to preach His Word. When God called me to preach, I couldn't imagine anybody even wanting to listen to me. And and I still can't to this day. I didn't start preaching because I hoped people would listen to me. I started preaching because I was compelled by God to do so. I I literally thought, "I, I can't do this. And by the way, I couldn't. But God could, and God did make it possible for me to preach all these years. So when I think about going to heaven, uh, that's the most wonderful thing I can think about is being there, serving him continually. Now look at verse 4. There will be unclouded vision in that day because we shall see his face. The artist has tried to capture his likeness on paper. The the sculpture has tried to capture his likeness in clay. People just try to imagine what he must look like. Well, one of these days you'll find out. You'll see his face. And notice in verse 4 something else about there will be unmistakable identity concerning his people. Why? Because his name... Is in their forehead. You know, down here we a lot of times we wonder. So and so, you know, they claim to be saved, and we suspect, well, maybe they are. Boy, in that day we won't have to wonder because everybody's going to going to have the name of Jesus in their forehead. You say, well, what is that all about? Well, during the tribulation period, one hundred and forty-four thousand of the Jews. That had turned to the Lord. Now I want you to get this. During the most horrible terrible time on earth. 144,000 Jews. Those Jews that have rejected him. All down through the centuries. But then in the very worst time. They will receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they'll be sealed as a result of it. And they will go on an evangelistic campaign that covers this world. And there will be more people saved during the tribulation than any time in all of history. The world has never seen anything like that. And when we get to heaven, we'll have that mark of identification with Jesus Christ. During the Old Testament, the high priest wore a plate of gold on his on his headdress and it was engraved holiness to the Lord I guess what you could say is this is a declaration of our dedication to God a declaration of our dedication to God and and that mark we remind one another there in heaven we're here Because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we serve Him day and night, we are dedicated to Him. Now notice verse 5. Here's something else we receive as a result of this. Unfailing guidance. He giveth them light. He giveth them light. Nothing but light there. We don't have to stumble around in the dark. In verse five, there's unending victory. They shall reign forever. Now, if you've listened carefully, you can see that heaven is not what some people picture heaven to be. We won't be floating around on a on a in space on a little fluffy cloud playing a harp. That's that's not heaven. Because of Jesus, heaven. Was brought to what? Earth. But remember, this: is, it's going to be a new earth at that time. The curse has been removed. And there is this connection. He brings heaven to earth. Just as Jesus brought God to earth. So whenever you think about dying and leaving this old world, and you think, huh, I'm done with this world. Well, you're done with this world As it is. Now. Oh you're not done with it by a long shot. There will be people entering in through those gates. From the new earth to the new city of Jerusalem. And to the new earth. You're going to spend forever on this earth. And the new city of Jerusalem. Well that just blows my mind. Think about God doing something like that. Now, keep in mind, when God originally created the earth, it's a lot different than it was after the flood. It was the perfect environment, everything. Even he he put Adam there in the garden to tend it, but he didn't have to earn his bread by the sweat of his brow. That was after he sinned. Everything was perfect, it was luscious, everything. And God said, I'm going to restore that. I'm going to put it back the way that I intended for it to be. And as Christians, you and I are a part of that. Every preacher ought to preach on heavens until nobody nobody rejects it. Ought to preach on hell nobody wants to go there and i'm just convinced if we really understood how wonderful heaven is that it would literally transform our life meditating on heaven do you ever sit around and just think about heaven you should because whenever we think about heaven and we think about all that's not going to be there and all that's going to be there It has a way of thrilling us and transforming us. Heaven is a precious, permanent possession that God has promised to us and is provided by the Lord Jesus Christ. It will be our permanent home, our precious hope, a place of happiness. It will be paradise of pure holiness. You know, what would it take to keep someone like Paul going Everywhere he goes preaching and trying to help people, they hate him, they beat him, they throw him in jail. It seemed like nobody appreciated what he, what he was doing. And he goes through all of those hardships that he mentions in the Bible. And he never one time ever said, I think it's time for me to retire. Let some younger preacher carry, carry on. He might have felt at times, what's the use? They don't want to hear God's word. What kept him going? It wasn't a paycheck, I'll tell you that. The thing that kept him going is exactly what he tells us over in maybe my favorite chapter that's 2 Corinthians. And in chapter number 4, 2 Corinthians. He said in verse seven, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, but the excellency, or that the excellency of the power, may be of God and not of us. And he says, he says, it is but for a moment. Verse seventeen. Now, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, our light affliction. It's like Paul, have you lost your mind? Don't you understand what you've been through? You're in prison. You've been beating. Over and over, you've been shipwrecked, hungry, thirsty. And he said, All these those are light afflictions. They're but for a moment, and get this, he says, They worketh for us, not against us. You see, we tend to look at what's going on in our life, and it's bad, and we think, well, it's against us he says they worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look and here's what kept him going while we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are temporal they're they're going to pass but the things which are not seen are eternal That's Paul's way of saying the thing that keeps me going is to not focus on what's going on in my life right now, but to focus on what it's going to be in that day when finally, at long last, we'll be in our heavenly home. There'll be no more tears, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more death. Oh, I wish I could say something that would make every person have a desire for heaven. It'd be wonderful. problem is, I, I don't know what more to say than what God has already said. The greatest orator that ever lived on the earth could not possibly explain what heaven is like because it's something that we would have to experience for ourselves. And I know there are those of you that are maybe wondering about your loved ones who have died. You feel like they're 100 million miles away. Peter Marshall, who was the chaplain of the Senate many years ago, and a great man, Peter Marshall, said this. He said, those in heaven are with the Lord. We all agree on that? He said, they're with the Lord, and the Lord promised to be with us. So they can't be far away. Think about that. Your loved one is with the Lord and the Lord is with you. So heaven must be closer than you think. I, I, don't, I, I, can't, I can't describe heaven. Uh, we're talking about an entirely different dimension. Now here's part of the problem, I think. And that's the fact that so many times, you know, we think about ourselves as being a physical person with a spiritual something or another within us. We're physical people with a spirit within us. But that's just not true. You are a spiritual person within a body. You see, the real you is not the body. The real you is that part of you that looks out through your eyes, that's windows, enables you to to see. The, The body, although very useful, the body itself, one of these days, is going to die. The Bible says, you know, death is the absence of the spirit from the body. In other words, you're going to move out, but when they bury your body you're going to continue to exist somewhere forever. Forever. And that brings me to the last point. Look at verse 16 of chapter 22, verse 16 and 17. And here he speaks about the door to heaven. He said, In the Spirit and the Bride, that is the Holy Spirit and the Bride, which is the Lord's church, they say... Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto those things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written therein. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book, this prophecy, God shall take away his part of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written therein. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly, amen, even so come Lord Jesus. (laughs) Somebody says, well, gee, preacher, I know you keep talking about how wonderful it's going to be, but I... I don't want the Lord to come today. Why not? John, remember, John has had this revelation from God describing what heaven is like, at least to the extent that we read about. And his response is even so, come, Lord Jesus, I'm ready to go. Used to have some dear friends that sang an old song. It says, I'm homesick for heaven. I've got a longing to go. And I'm telling you, the more we know about heaven, the greater our desire for heaven is going to be. And there's only one way to get there. Jesus said, I am the door. He said, I am the door. And by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. only one door and that door is christ but one of these days my dear friend that door is going to be shut several things could happen you could die without christ well we don't want to think about that but it's true we never know how much longer we've got on this earth you might think well i'm young and i'm healthy nothing could happen to me oh yeah well it really could Go to the Shriners Hospital. I'm not promoting any of these when I say it. Go to St. Jude's Hospital. Walk in there and see all of those little children with cancer. Their lives hanging in the balance. And you get in your car and you head home and you're assuming you're going to get there. but You have no assurance that you're going to get there. It's appointed, and the man wants to die and it's going to happen sooner or later in some way to all of us but if you die without having christ as your savior you'll exist as it were forever in a lake of fire in a literal hell that was created originally for the devil and for his angels but that's where you'll be or it could be that you're unsaved and uh, You live a long life, 100 years maybe, but all of a sudden in a moment, as the Bible says, in a twinkling of an eye, that Jesus comes in the clouds of the air and takes his people away and you'll be left. He said, preacher, I, I don't believe stuff like that. Well, that's because evidently you don't believe this blessed old book I hold in my hand. As the Lord said, He's coming. He said, there'll be two in the field. One will be taken and the other will be left. Two in the bed and one will be taken and the other will be left. One of these days, whether you believe it or not, the Lord's coming back for His people. And I just pray that you you know the Lord is your Savior. And if you're here today and maybe you're just so discouraged, not just because of your personal experiences, the bad things that you're going through and all of that. But you look around and I've, I've heard several people say, I hate to even think about having more children or raising children in the times that we live in. That, that's, the way that, that's the way they feel, like it's just a hopeless situation. But I hope when you leave here today that you leave here with that blessed hope. That our Lord is going to return and we are going to go be with the Lord for all eternity. Not out there way beyond anything we can imagine, no. Right here on a glorified earth, in constant contact with that new Jerusalem where God's throne is. And evidently we go back and forth from the one to the other no i can't answer all your questions about heaven but i can tell you it's real and it's roomy it's big it's big enough for all of us and i know that god's will for your life sure you couldn't know god's will for my life yeah i can the bible says god is not willing that any man should perish God doesn't take delight in sending people to hell. It's not God's fault if somebody goes to hell. It's our rejection of Him. He gave His only begotten Son who shed His blood on the cross that we might be saved. God forbid that you reject that sacrifice that He made for you. And by the way, when I say for you, I want you to know He would have done that if you was the only person on this earth. He loves you so much, He would have died just for you. Don't ever get it in your mind, nobody cares about me. Oh, yeah. There's an old song. "says nobody ever cared for me like Jesus. And that's true. Aren't you glad as a Christian, you know the best is yet to come? It really is. I hope you're ready. Let's all stand, Tim, if you come, and we're going to sing a verse of invitation. If you're here today and, and you've never received Christ as your Savior, I beg you this morning that, that you would come. You say, well, preacher, I've got some questions, things I don't understand. Well, you're always going to have questions, but when it comes to the plan of salvation, it couldn't be more simple than that. As Paul told the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Would you be willing to do that this morning?